0: Listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. everyone. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to open it to the book of Romans, chapter 13, where we will be spending our time this morning. This has already been read for us. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when uh, the apostles were first writing their letters, they They weren't attaching chapters and verse numbers to each of those little headings. We've added some structure so it's easier to find components. Uh, But I have found in my own reading that sometimes I I separate statements from each other based off those numbers. And so as we begin chapter 13, and this is a a well-known passage specifically To address the Christian view of government, so that Paul launches straight into that. Uh, We can sometimes forget that it comes right after the last verse of chapter 12. So before Paul says anything about submission to government, he says, do not be overcome by evil. Um, So that should prime the pump for us this morning, because I think that's one of the ways, just in our our day and age and time, we can begin to, to view the role of government in our own lives personally and so just to put my cards on the table uh, my college degree my bachelor's degree is actually in political science that's what i got from the university of texas at arlington and then i went on i did my masters in theology uh, but that was my uh, original area of study and let me just tell you after four years of taking classes on government at the college level i came away with the very profound sense of This is not something I want to do or engage with my life. So one of the things I found through that, and I just find in general, is that for all of us in a a lot of areas of our life, but I think specifically to to this topic, uh, it is very easy for us to take an attitude of cynicism, that we get a little jaded, and it's, it's, it's easy to go down that route of just everything is the worst, or this is the worst, or it is an evil, and we just can be very negative about the whole situation. Uh, But you can look back in Galatians and double-check me, but I don't believe cynicism is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we do need to uh, approach this, uh, with just a, a, a freshness from the Lord, because we do know this particular topic and just the way we engage this area of our lives and in our society um, tends to feel pretty negative. i don 't remember the last conversation I personally had about government that didn 't have some form of of negative comment, negative moment, negative mindset about what was going on in that area of our lives. And so that's what we want to uh, talk about this this morning. And so if you've been with us on our journey through Romans, chapter 12 um, turned this corner for us where the previous 11 chapters were really uh, a bit more theologically driven. It was about our understanding about what God is doing in the world and what has also gone on in our own lives, but 12 kind of begins the application portion Of the book of Romans. And so we need to remember that because that's what we're going to be talking about. Paul, after he had laid out so many aspects of what the gospel message is and our salvation found in Jesus Christ, has now began to paint a picture for you of if you understand the mercy of God on your life, this is the way it walks out practically. So we spent two weeks on chapter 12 in in, in talking about that aspect. And so now Paul is continuing into the Christian view of both authority and government. And so this is practical. It is how we are supposed to live as a called out person, as someone saved by Jesus Christ, as a born again Christ follower. How do I live my life with the authorities around me. And so we need to remember that this morning, that there's already this backdrop of the gospel, of being saved by faith alone, in the grace of Jesus Christ. But what does it look like in these different spheres of our lives to follow Jesus faithfully? And so let us begin and remind ourselves of what Paul says in verse 1 and verse 2. This is where he begins. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities of For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so I think there is some specificity to this, but it is also a generic term on the role of authorities in our life. And as you um, also take the other passages that deal with this topic, it's pretty clear that we can view any of the authorities God has put around us through this lens. And so we're going to operate with different authorities and different governing structures in our life in a lot of realms, including, you know, our our workplace and and even uh, to an extent within the church. But then also we've got uh, city governments and state governments and and national governments. And so all of those, it's a bit of a comprehensive term. Now, Paul does get specific about some of these areas uh, because he talks about things like taxation and he talks about the emperor. But we can know that he is advocating for a general mindset towards authority structures we're going to have to interact with in this life. And so uh, you can see within that already uh, that Paul is going to paint a picture in two directions. One, that there are things government is supposed to do. So he does address, like, two governments. Like, if you were in that position where uh, maybe that is your vocation or you were in a position of authority, it is going to address some of the ways that authority structure is supposed to behave. And so that one is one of the directions of the explanation, but it more focuses on people who are under authority. And so what does he begin to unpack for us? In verse 3, he says this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so one of the uh, kind of classical stances from Christianity on what is the role of government is that uh, one of the roles of government is to punish evil and to promote good. And we're going to get into it in a little bit. The Apostle Peter takes up this theme as well and says something similarly. And so the role of government, punish evil, do good, you get this general sense, and you can kind of go back even to the Old Testament and different authority structures and kingdoms and different things that rose up, that there is this general sense that government authorities are supposed to maintain order in a society. And so you see that, like, uh, lawlessness is always uh, condemned biblically. Like, anarchy does not do anybody any good. And so you get that even within the Old Testament. If you can think about the book of Judges, one of the um, statements of condemnation that was made about that season of life is that there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And so what Paul's saying, like there is this very basic, it's not getting into the minutia of different laws at this point, but government ruling authorities are supposed to maintain order because it it goes into our Christian worldview. We need that because we would also believe uh, that people are innately sinful, So one of the things I learned in all of my political science classes is that it does go back kind of to the roots of how we view humanity. And there's been different political philosophers that have, um, you know, written their different works. And some have different views, like that uh, people are basically a a blank slate. And so they could be inherently good. And it's just a socialization that has this impact on how people begin to interact in society. Uh, But then there's other political philosophers that are like, nope. People are not good and left to their own devices. It's going to end up bad for everybody. And so government's role is to restrain those negative impulses that people have towards uh, subjecting others, towards getting their own way. And so we, we would see that biblically, that like we do have this propensity towards sinfulness and selfishness. And so we can view governing authorities through a lens of that it is a God-given gift that it is supposed to help us maintain order so we can interact in a good way, large scale, with the people that we know. Government is supposed to punish evil and do good. That's one of the roles of government. And so Paul is offering his instruction, his encouragement, for what it looks like to be a Christian in that scenario and to understand That if the governing authority is present, you shouldn't fear them because you also should be doing good just as God has commanded you. And so let's look, because I think it does reinforce it that the Apostle Peter speaks on this very similarly. If you can, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. He says some very similar things and then adds in a couple of other things. Uh, So 1 Peter 2 verse 13 through 17, he says this, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so you can tell that there should be this relationship people who are in that position of being under authority have with the ruling authorities. And I think it's at this point whenever we read these passages of scripture that talk about us being subject to to authorities being subject to governments that we begin to mount our internal defense as to why that doesn't actually apply in my specific situation or in my specific mindset about our government. That's how we begin to think in in those terms, like, okay, government's supposed to uh, promote good, punish evil... And so if that's what Paul is saying to government, um, then my government, how I view it, is not doing its part, and so here is why I don't actually have to abide by that biblical command. I think, I know that's where where my heart goes a lot, because um, I I say, being an American, and not specifically American, but also a, a Texan by nature, there is this independent streak in me. And so when I even go back and read uh, you know, some, some Texas history and some different aspects of, of our lineage, our, our cultural lineage, there is this um, uh, independence, there is this, I'm gonna do my way or the highway, and so there's this thing that begins to push against me. And it's like, okay, well, how many uh, different uh, what ifs can I come up with as to why what Paul is saying does not apply to my specific circumstance? So what if the government's dumb? What if the government is enacting stupid laws? What if the government is just wasting my money and not applying it? What if the government is not punishing evil? And what if the government is promoting good? We begin to mount our defense as to why this does not apply to my specific point of view of the government or how my behavior should actually be in this God-given commandment. So one of the things I found, even through interaction and talking with people at times— that I have heard people make this defense. Like, okay, well, you know, Paul says the government should be doing this. And so um, he probably didn't realize that in our day and age, the government isn't actually acting in our good. And so we begin to have those wrestlings and those tensions and I've I've had that conversation with people before that it's like you know um, Paul just didn't really understand the situation we were going to be living in and and I would say two things about that that you're going to have to contend with if that's your perspective one is that Paul would have to be writing about a godly government that is doing it right for you to think that your situation does not apply here and that is not the situation like, I mean, we've talked about this historical context in, in plenty of different ways. Like, Paul, as he is writing this, the ruling authority in the entire known world is the Roman Empire. By all accounts, historically, biblically, you, you couldn't make a very strong case that this is a, a moral, godly, upstanding form of government. It is an empire. There's an emperor at the top, he is uh, decreeing things, there are edicts, he is subjecting peoples to his will, and if you know anything of the Roman history, you know, even within their own gov- government, there's constant backstabbing, that's why there's like a thousand different emperors and no lineage goes very far because somebody else is going to stab him, you know, we know all that about, you know, Julius Caesar from uh, Shakespeare, the whole e Brute thing, like you can't make an argument that Paul is holding up Rome as a model government, and so we only have to listen to what he's saying if our government is in that same model zone. Because I, I think that's a very poor argument to make historically, that Paul's just talking about good government. Because he's not living under a good government, as we very well know. The second thing you're going to have to wrestle with, if that's Your point of view, like, okay, uh, Paul just wasn't aware of my situation, it's not actually an indictment on Paul, it's an indictment on God. And so if you think your situation, our collective situation, governmentally, does not apply in this specific passage, you are limiting God to not know the situation we're going to be living in when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. And you're going to have to take a very, very uh, uh, minor view of history and the transcendence of the word of God. Because, you know, there have been uh, followers of Jesus who have read these words in far more difficult and negative circumstances than any of us could ever imagine when it comes to being subjected to authority. Even now, there could be a brother and sister in Christ who picks up the words of Paul in North Korea and reads those and has to wrestle with the reality of the authorities God has placed over them and how they are supposed to live faithfully in those times. Because here's what I have found. We always want to make our conduct or our faithfulness situationally dependent. We do this in all sorts of ways in our, our Christian life. You know, We will forgive them if they are sorry we will be kind if they will also be kind. We always try to make our faithfulness, our conduct situationally dependent. And so we will honor the government when the government is not being stupid. You know, that's this mindset we take into these different areas of life God has placed us in. And we should know at a very basic level, part of us being a Christian is we are supposed to reflect the God we claim to serve. And let me just tell you, God's faithfulness is not dependent upon my situation. And so Jesus is not offering his blood as an atoning sacrifice for my sins as long as I get my life together and quit sinning. And so we, that's what we are trying to do in reverse when we are saying like, hey, I will fulfill my obligation, my God-given duty to be a Christian and walk on these different spheres. If we are saying it is dependent on the other end of the equation holding up its deal, we are not reflecting the God we claim to serve. Our faithfulness is based off the character of God, not the situation we find ourselves in. In the book of 1 Peter, it's pretty obvious because he talks about, hey, um, in this situation, when you're under a governing authority, this is how you're supposed to behave. And then he continues to address different people that are in different situations and how they should behave. So he talks about uh, masters and servants, or sometimes it's translated masters and slaves. And he's saying, slaves, obey your masters. That is not Peter condoning slavery, it is him encouraging those who claim Christ that regardless of the situation you find yourselves in, God calls us to faithfulness. And so that's one of the things we have to recognize in this moment, that it is not situation case-by-case dependent that God is calling us to a certain attitude when it comes to the governing authorities in whatever season we find ourselves in. And so both Paul and Peter take on this issue of taxation. It was a very specific issue for the Jewish people, namely because they didn't want to do it, and oftentimes they did not do it. It was a very contentious issue uh, for uh, Jews specifically in regards to Rome. Why? Because their homeland was being occupied by a foreign force that they hated And when they had to give taxes to the Roman Empire, it was funding that occupation. So always a point of contention uh, for Jews that were under occupying Rome. And that would have um, also been true for the Jews that were living in Rome, the city, is that they knew when they gave taxes, their money was going to something that they did not agree with. But Paul and Peter both encouraged people to pay taxes because it begins to uh, play into our idea of citizenship in that we know with Jesus Christ that the God of the universe is no longer establishing an earthly kingdom. He's establishing a heavenly kingdom. And so what does Jesus talk about when he's actually questioned on taxation? He says it. He says, whose inscription's on it? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's saying this isn't, this isn't an issue for the church. We're not establishing an earthly kingdom. We, don't, we aren't giving our money to establish a, uh, a geopolitical state, our citizenship's in heaven. And so we can't interact in these relationships and authorities because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But that's always been an issue. And Paul's picking up on that and telling the Christians in Rome that this is an area of your life that you're supposed to be subject to. Uh, you know, as um, um, the New Testament ends... Uh, with a lot of the apostles meeting their death. And so uh, the apostle John was one of the ones that lived the longest, as far as we know, actually lived into old age, but most of the rest of the apostles um, died pretty early, but the, but the church had taken off. And so it's, it's pretty cool historically because we, ha- we begin to have these other writings from other church leaders, like at the end of the first century and into the second century, and we can see how they were taking the apostles' writings in that next step, in the history of our church family begins to unfold, and there's this character that I, I've really found interesting uh, that was in Rome in the second century, uh, so not too far after the apostles. His name was Justin, and he was a philosopher. And so when he uh, came to Christ, he had uh, loved studying philosophy, the the Greek philosophers, and what he found in Jesus was like this is true philosophy. And so since he was kind of an intellectual, kind of an academic, he began to apply it to his faith, and he and he established. A school in Rome to teach like Christian philosophical thought and so he's kind of credited he's kind of called the first Christian apologist and so at this time in Rome things you know not good for Christians in Rome uh, continued persecution they kept growing there was animosity between them and their Roman officials there was uh, just different things that transpire and so one of the things that he did was what's considered he, he wrote the first Christian apology and so he wrote this long, open letter to the emperor at the time. And he covers all sorts of things in this letter. It's pretty, it's pretty unique. You can still find it. So we have a couple of his writings that have uh, made the test of time. And so uh, Justin Martyr's first apology to Emperor Antonius, he talks about like, hey, here's why you don't have to be afraid of Christians. And he's like, hey, you, you might have heard that we talk about the kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. We are not a threat to your rule. He's like, here's some of the things we're not going to do. You know, worship at the temple, sacrificing the false gods. We're just not going to do them. We, you know, we owe our allegiance to the one true God of the universe. And so uh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. But hey, this is what you've heard about us that's probably false. This is why we teach certain things and do certain things. And uh, I love this, this quote from him that's within this apology letter. He, he says this to the emperor. He says, everywhere we, more readily than all men, Endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by him. For at that time, some came to him and asked him if one ought to pay tribute to Caesar. And he answered, tell me whose image does the coin bear? And they said, Caesar's. And again, he answered them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. Whence did God alone we render worship? But in other things, we gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men and praying that with your kingly power, you be found to possess also sound judgment. So this is an open letter from an early Christian to the ruling authorities he is subjected to. And within that, he, he, he openly tells the emperor, like, hey, here's some things we're just not going to do, but in these areas, we're going to gladly do it because we're doing it unto the Lord. So uh, notice, notice, um, I, I, I love the correlation that both Paul and Peter talk about uh, showing respect and honor, and you can see that within this message, that he is deferential to the emperor's position, although within his writings, he is Actively telling the emperor, here's some of the things I'm not going to do, but he is doing it with respect and honor. There is a reverence shown in his address. And it's clear from the biblical witness and from the history of the church that our being subject to government is not contingent on it being a government that we agree with. And so another thing I find interesting with both Paul saying, be subject to the authorities, honor the emperor... Peter being subject to the authorities, honor the emperor. Justin being subject to the authorities, expressing honor in his disagreement. All three of these men were executed by Rome. So I don't think we can make the argument that what God is calling Christians to, even in this day, is an honoring to the governing authorities only if we agree with them. I don't think that is a position we can take. I do think it's important Paul uses this word both in verse 1 and verse 5 that we are to be subject to. Now if you dig into it, if you utilize the different aspects of the New Testament, it is clear that this word, what it is conveying, is not a blind allegiance or a blind obedience. What it is, it is a a, a positional attitude of humility— It's saying, it's recognizing that all authority is God's. And so if there are human authorities in this world, it is a delegated authority by God. And so my position as a God-fearer and a Jesus follower is one of humility towards human authority. It's the position we are supposed to take. It is what Paul is advocating for, is that we do come into these areas of our life, into these situations where there is an authority structure that we're supposed to have a humility within that. Now, that does not mean blind allegiance. And so, you know, I, I said earlier that this is the part where we begin to mount our internal defense as to why um, our situation is the exception. And I do think we need to talk about there, there are exceptions. Because we, we're going to take the, the whole of Scripture and we can see from both Paul's life and from Peter's life that there are times when an authority asked them to do something and they said no. And so we get that within the Scripture as well when we look at all the things. I think one of the clearest examples we can look to is, okay, okay, when is the time that is my, me as a follower of Jesus needs to say no? And I think one of the clearest examples is in the book of Daniel. So we get this on, on two different occasions with the exiles living in Babylon, living in Persia. One, we get um, some level of assimilation that they are working for the good of this government. Both with the character of Daniel and then his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are working within this government structure that is one, ungodly, and two, oppressive to their homeland. But they are working for its good, and they keep getting elevated, and they keep getting promotions because they're so good at their jobs, and they're helping that government accomplish its mission. But we get two different instances in that book where they are asked to do something by the ruling authorities, and they say no. So we know the first instance in Daniel 3 is, the, is uh, them in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're they're doing their jobs. They're trying to be faithful to the faith of their childhood. And this moment comes where Nebuchadnezzar um, decides he's going to erect a golden statue to himself and make it a law that everybody has to worship this golden statue. And so these three guys who've been doing the other palace things, they've been uh, up-and-coming administrators in this government, it comes to this moment and they say, no, we can't do that. And in that dialogue we get, they are respectful. They're saying, hey, king, you do what you have to do. We're not going to do it. And so it is clear that when an authority requires you to directly violate God's law, that is the time you say no. And another way to think about it is, is if obeying the government is making you sin, that is where biblically God tells us to say no to an authority. The same thing happens with Daniel a couple of chapters later. uh, Under King Darius, there is a edict that goes out that for 30 days, if you're offering any form of prayer or petition, it can only be to the king himself. And Daniel uh, was in the habit of going to his room three times a day, and in the window, he would pray, and everybody knew he did that. And so they issued this edict... And he turned around and went to his house at the same time he did every day and offered his prayer to God alone. And what happens? He is thrown into the den of lions, but God miraculously saves him and teaches both of these kings a lesson in the process of both of these moments where followers of God, although they were willing to be subject to the authority of their situation when it came to being asked to violate the law of God, if it was between them, the action was sinning, they said, no, You get this also in the New Testament, in Acts chapter four, Peter and John have been preaching Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, which was a, an authority, arrested them. So a governing authority arrested them. And within uh, this moment, as they are brought to trial, they are told, no longer preach of Jesus and we'll let you go. And they say, no. They say, you can decide if it's right for us to honor you or honor God. But as for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so when an authority asked them to violate the law of God, they said, No. So when can we say no? When to obey would be sinful. How do we disobey? We do it with respect, and we do it with openness. In 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, a, a scene began to unfold of kind of a showdown in the civil rights movement. And so Birmingham being in the South uh, has still a lot of those vestiges of racism and um, the reconstruction period after the Civil War. And so um, a law had gone out that they had to desegregate all of their society. So signs that said whites only over uh, water fountains in different areas were supposed to be removed and Birmingham just didn't do it. And so civil rights leaders began to gather in that town and engage in civil disobedience. They were staging sit-ins and marches. And since it was beginning to be volatile, there was a judge who said, um, you know, for a temporary amount of time, outlawed any form of public gathering. And so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders decided that this was a moment when they were going to disobey the authorities. And they marched in Birmingham anyways. And Dr. King and several others were arrested. And while he was in jail in Birmingham, he penned a letter. It's pretty famous now. We look at it and it's very insightful and moving uh, because you can read now. You can pull it up on Google or grab a copy of letter from a Birmingham jail. And this is what Dr. King said as he sat in jail for disobeying a governing authority. He says, one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for law. The Bible recognizes and bear witness that there is a time to say no to governing authorities. If the governing authority is asking you to sin, you say no. How do you say no? You do it with openness and you do it with respect. And we see that throughout our collective Christian history. In 2018, uh, the Chinese Communist Party began a, a pretty severe crackdown of Christianity in China. It's always been a uh, tumultuous situation, but in 2018, in a specific province in Chengdu, uh, they really got aggressive. There were several church buildings that were bulldozed. Uh, they said there was code violations. There was uh, actually a mass burning of Bibles, and there was a lot of church leaders who were rounded up and arrested. One of them was a pastor named Wang Yi, and when he was arrested, his church released a letter that he had written in advance if he was ever to be arrested. Arrested, Kind of made its rounds on the internet. I, I re-looked it up um, this past week because I remembered being very struck by his perspective of his role as both a Christian and a Christian leader in a situation with a government that was antagonistic towards his faith. And this is just a, a portion of it. I would encourage you, uh, go back and read the entire thing this week. There's a lot uh, that was very moving to me and very instructive uh, for me. But he, he says this in the course of his letter. He says, at the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is a greatly wicked, unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all cost for disobeying wicked laws. But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and the disobedience of the church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience. Because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws of China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature By this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. I like to use these examples because I know for myself, when I am frustrated about our current circumstance, it's usually a matter of convenience for me. It is a matter of, you know, I think that's dumb and I don't want to do it whether it be a um, a, a certain speed limit, whether it be uh, how taxes are being enforced, there is this pull in me to like, that's dumb, I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it, they can't make me. And Paul's addressing those attitudes for us as Christians. We have to evaluate If we are claiming Jesus as Lord, what does that look like in every single area of my life? And so Paul uses the motivation in two directions in chapter 5. He's saying, one, that if you do go against the governing authorities, there's a chance you will be punished. But we probably all know, for example, there's lots of times we've done little trespasses and nothing happened to us. But then secondly, Paul says to do it because of a clear conscience. Because what Paul is advocating for is that we subject ourselves to authorities out of reverence for God. And so our willingness to have a posture of humility to the authority structures around us is a reflection of how we view our relationship to God. And so these examples I know just kind of burn into me and have a contrast for people that are counting the cost of what it actually means to follow God and not too concerned with their own conveniences or preferences. So it is clear that as Christians, we absolutely do have a a prophetic role to call out moral evil in the societies God has placed us in. That's been clear uh, throughout the biblical narrative and throughout the history of the church. Christians, when we have seen something that is morally repugnant or is evil, we call it out for what it is. But I love these examples because, once again, I would say, how do we do that? We do it with openness and we do it with respect. Because as the Apostle Peter tells us and the Apostle Paul tells us, that we are supposed to honor the emperor. And no, we don't have an emperor here, but we do have authorities that we are supposed to take a respectful posture to, even in the midst of calling out injustices that we might see in the world around us. You know we're sneaking up on an election cycle, uh, which personally I am dreading uh, because the last two uh, to me have been terrible for our society in the way we have treated each other. We all know the negativity of our times and the decis- uh, divisiveness of the news cycle, the polarization we can all feel. So going back to you know what Paul says at the beginning of twelve, chapter twelve, when he begins to. Talk about application is one of the first things that he says. We talked about two weeks ago is to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It means that there is um, this normative way people behave that it is going to be easy for us to be sucked into and that we need the Holy Spirit to um, uh, illumine our hearts and to change us from the inside out so that when times do get exceedingly divisive or it just seems pushed to the forefront of every interaction we are having, that we don't get sucked into what is normal. Normal. We don't get sucked into what is um, uh, human. That we don't get sucked into returning in kind. An aspect of how we are supposed to walk out our followership of Jesus Christ is with kindness, with Christian charity, and showing honor. That should be what sets Christians apart, not being viewed as a large voting block. Which I would say is not at odds with caring deeply about the direction of our country and taking seriously the civic duty we have within our governmental system to enact change when we think change needs to happen. Those two things are not at odds. It's the attitude and the mode and the posture we have within our hearts when we are doing those two things. And we all know from experience that we have erred in that regard greatly and a lot of times and I thank God for the grace of Jesus that his faithfulness towards me is not dependent on my actions. But in the same way, uh, we can have a prophetic call to the culture at large. We also need a call within our, our, our own Christian family that we are not supposed to look like the world when it comes to the manner of speech we take, to the manner of kindness and charity and patience we have towards society at large. We're supposed to look different Snark is not a Christian attribute. Vulgarity is not a Christian attribute. And when it comes to the governmental systems or just the political climate of our day, we turn to that way too easily. What does Paul say? says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We well, are supposed to respect the authorities God's put around us. I don't necessarily like that all the time, but I do like that Jesus Christ looked at my broken state and saved my soul. And I have chosen Him as my Lord over myself. And I'm going to submit to His will and rule in my life. And an aspect of that is the attitude I take towards other authorities I find myself in. And so, if we are asked to sin, we say no. We say no with openness and with respect. But in all other matters that are not a matters of conscience, we obey the authorities around us because we get to obey Jesus. And through that, God's going to use those negative interactions, those negative circumstances to refine us and make us ready to be his bride, perfect without blemish forever and ever. And that is the role of the church and that is our perspective on the governments of today and the government's tomorrow and the government's 50 years from now in whatever situation this world throws at us because uh, people all over the world are looking to the word of God for wisdom and insight and to encounter Jesus Christ. And it's going to be the same message in all of their situations as well. So let's partner together and keep each other accountable to guard our language, to do things with gentleness and respect to show honor where God has called us to show honor whether we disagree or not. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Even um, when it kind of steps on my own toes, how I feel and the things that frustrate me greatly, just the I think the word that comes to mind is just the irritation so often when I think about governing authorities. God, convict me. Grant me uh, just your patience that you have with me, your kindness, God, your charity. God, help me to strike a good balance of standing firm on your values, your morals, your precepts and standings, God, but out of an attitude of love and respect because of your word. God, help me to know what's of me and what's of you. And just the courage to be honest about those things. God, recognizing that not all of my thoughts or words or desires are backed by your word or backed by a godly conviction. Sometimes it's just a human conviction. God, so help us as the church to be distinct, uh, to not conform to the pattern of this world when it comes to showing respect, when it comes to having an attitude of humility towards governing authorities. God, we need um, just your supernatural power in us to do that well so that we can uh, be a witness to a lost world that there is a better way that is found in Jesus Christ. We ask that you and you alone be glorified. In your name, Lord.